Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, Charles Martin was back on the Meeting House recently. He provides a look inside the final hours of the life of Jesus and the meaning of the cross on which he died for us. Then, with Valentine's Day in the rearview mirror, I'll revisit material from a conversation with researcher Galen Williams of Relationship Resources as she examines marital health and how couples can deal with stress in their lives. And on this edition of The Intersection, Betsy St. Amant Haddocks relates how she looked to the Lord for healing after her husband left her and her marriage was terminated. Finally, David Bonson, who approaches economic matters from a Christian worldview perspective, explores different aspects of work and how we can view it from that Christian perspective. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. First up, it's Charles Martin. In our recent Meeting House conversation, he shared about the inspiration for and the content contained within his book called It Is Finished, A 40-Day Pilgrimage Back to the Cross. From that conversation, here now is Charles Martin. This book bubbled up for me in uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem. I've, I've been six times. My church has invited me to teach as one of the teaching pastors on our, on our trips and on our tours. So I've been I've been a bunch, and and I and I love going. And we 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 try and follow the life of Jesus somewhat chronologically. It doesn't make sense financially because it's a little hard to get folks around. But we start at Nazareth, move through the Galilee like a lot of tours. But we we all we're, everything we're doing is always with a view toward the cross. Hmm. So that by the time we get to Jerusalem, we're ready for the Garden, the Mount of Olives, Caiaphas' house, Pilate's Praetorium the walk out of the city and then the cross itself. And when on about my third or fourth trip, they had opened up like the catacombs below the Western wall, below what we, what we call the Wailing Wall, to a Herodian road, which we know is the lowest that you can go in Jerusalem because any lower than that, and you're on the Mount Moriah. That road travels from basically the steps leading out of Caiaphas' house up to the soldier's garrison at, at, at where Pilate was staying. And so we got to that road. Stones were real smooth. When you get up to the garrison, there's a hole in the ground about 14 inches in diameter. And we know from historical record that they would put a post in that hole, wedge it in. They would lash the prisoner to the post. There's a groove next to it to catch the blood. There's a little, there's a series of about 12 lines over about 10 feet away that's a, a game carved by the soldiers. It's called the King's Game. And we know from record that they would they would gamble for the belongings of the dude strapped to the post. So anyway, we got down there. I saw the hole. I saw the game. I saw the smooth stones. I heard Isaiah speaking in my mind. Mm -hmm. He was made unrecognizable as a man. Bob, I've known the Lord a long time. I'm 54. I've I've, I've walked with him. Doesn't mean I've always been obedient, but I know him. And it hit me staring at that hole in that game. This really happened. This this happened. The king of the universe mm. took off his crown, laid his diadem in the corner, gave his ring back to his dad, and took a swan dive out of heaven to come here on a rescue mission for us. And it doesn't make sense because I know me and I'm not worth the rescue. And I'm not saying that to be falsely humble. I'm just speaking the truth. So I I probably had the idea for this book there, but I was afraid to try and write it because I'm not a I'm not a tour guide. I'm a much better fellow pilgrim. And once I figured out that could be my posture, that I could sort of lock arms with you 
And you and I could walk through these events in the life of Jesus with a view toward the cross and what he accomplished there for us on our behalf, then I was able to kind of start putting pen to paper. So how did you want to use your words in order to express what what you had seen and what you had experienced and what the Bible relates to us? That's a great question. I wrestled with this a bunch, and I, I, I wrestled with... How much of me do I? How much of me do I put in this pilgrimage with the reader? Because I, I, it's not a book about me. I'm not. I'm not trying to get you to come to be with me. I'm trying to take you up and walk you back to the cross and land you at the feet of Jesus. So I, I really wrestled with, and we we sort of figured this out through editing, it, pulling more of me out of me to to allow the reader to feel like feel like they have a fellow pilgrim. But I didn't. I wasn't comfortable really with 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 how to tell the story. I mean, the, the story of Jesus is true because the Bible says it is true. That, that, that's our authority. The beautiful thing that we can do is use Scripture to interpret itself. So as a storyteller, I'm always wrestling with, how do I tell this and add color to it and admit I may be a little bit outside of Scripture, and I, and it doesn't say this exactly, but I think based on this, this, and this, I can draw this, at least this idea. And I need to be careful not to say, this is what scripture says. And I think I do that. At least I try to do that. So I'm always trying to balance the tension between being really, I know what it says in Revelation about those folks like me who mess with scripture and try to get it to say something and doesn't. That's not, it doesn't end mm. out very good for us. So I'm always wrestling with the tension of, Lord, how do I use the gift that you've given me, being tra truthful and faithful to your word, to tell the story and maybe tell it in a way that folks haven't heard it? And can you can you help me figure out how to do that? So it's a tension, and I do wrestle with it. Charles Martin here on this edition of The Intersection. His website address is charlesmartinbooks.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, Galen Williams, Executive Director of Relationship Resources, discusses the book she has written along with her late father, Ken Williams, entitled All Stressed Up and Everywhere to Go, Solutions to Distressing Your Life and Recovering Your Sanity. In our Meeting House conversation, she offered a Christian perspective on the negative effects of stress and how to deal with it biblically. Here now from that conversation is Galen Williams. One would be understanding, understanding your stress, because often people think that their stress is the stress situation. So it's something that has happened and they think that that is what is the stress. Well, that's just a piece of the stress. Our stress includes everything in our lives that is stressing us, including things like our expectations and um, sore spots, so things that we have brought with us um, that haven't been dealt with, that all affects affects our stress. And so one of the first things that we do in the book, as well as in workshops, is have people write out what is stressing them right now. And so I do this regularly on my own when I start to feel, feel stressed. And it's very interesting because a lot of the things that are causing me stress, and I believe a lot of people, is our worries and concerns. And those aren't things that are tangible, that people can say, oh, well, that's stressing me. But it's things that I'm concerned about and I'm worried about, and that just adds in 
into our stress. That's the first thing. And one other one, the last, the last of the six principles that we take people through is, is just focusing our eyes on Jesus. So Hebrews 12 to fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So getting our eyes off of our problems. And I love the Greek word for that says fixing or however it says it in your your translation, because it has a dual meaning. It means taking our eyes off of some one thing and putting them onto another because we can't focus on the Lord if we're focused on our problems, whatever those are. Mm. And as we focus on the Lord, it really takes our emphasis off of the problems if we bring them to Him. And you talk about the, I guess if I can use the word inventory, really discerning what is causing stress in one's life and really taking that before the Lord. And like you say, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Well, you run an organization called Relationship Resources. So let's talk about how relationships are affected by stress. And as if we look at the context of, say, married couples, but this can also operate where you have friendships where where there is stress that that comes in as a result of perhaps strain in relationships. So as we we kind of broaden that, how is it that relationships cause stress in our lives? Well, part of it, it can go back to expectations. You know, I expect you to do such and such and you don't do it. And so that that stresses me. So that can be one thing. But then just all the junk that we bring with us that we have not worked through, that affects the relationship. And we're going to um, lash out potentially at the other person. So we need to deal with our own stuff in order to keep our own stress levels down to help our relationships, whether that's in a marriage, it's with children, it's with friendships, whatever those relationships are. Galen Williams here on The Intersection. You can connect through the website relationshipresources.org. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming menu from the homepage at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, as well as the programming menu, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast, as well as the Meeting House program. Also, there are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. And there's a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel, through which you can watch video of Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible from the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on X or Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming menu at faithradio.org. Conversations can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. 
Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Betsy St. Amant Haddox. She is the author of a book entitled Once Upon a Divorce, Walking with God After the End. In our Meeting House conversation, she discussed the end of her marriage, the pain she experienced, and how she relied on God to heal and sustain her in the aftermath. Here now from that conversation is Betsy St. Amant Haddox. Once that became known and a reality, what impact did that have and what did you do next? Well, I grew up in in church my whole life and I was a Christian from a young age, but when I walked through this season of divorce, that was really a a milestone in my life in multiple ways, um, but mostly in my faith journey. Um, there was definitely a before and after line in the sand of my walk with God. And so when my husband left and I found myself on the other side of that, you know, just like everyone who goes through a trial, you have a choice to make. You can turn your back on God out of anger or fear or apathy and try to do things your own way, or you can cling desperately to his garment. And that's what I did. I needed him so badly. And I chose to to cling with all I had. And that started the next level of my faith journey. Mm. And how is it? Because like you say, that was a line in the sand for you. It actually drew you closer to God. I can imagine there are those that actually take a different perspective in that sort of situation. So what is it that, that really drove you to press in closer to God during that time? I think I just knew that that was where any source of comfort and hope was going to actually come from. And not that I walked that journey perfectly. I made plenty of mistakes. There's a bunch of what not to do's <laughs> in my book. But overall, my heart was to um, move forward with the Lord because I just knew that anything else, eventually, it was going to be a waste of time and would probably do more damage rather than actually heal me. And as I understand it, not only were you experiencing the end of a marriage, but you also were a single mom. And you, as you mentioned, you grew up in church. Tell me just a bit about how really relationships within the church and with your friends actually helped you during this time. My friend group was absolutely just crucial for my journey. Um, I made some new friends, which was, you know, kind of odd timing. You you don't really tend to put yourself out there when you're in this level of, you know, pain or trauma or heartache. But the Lord arranged it uh, just just so. And I was able to plug in with a young adult ministry. Uh, most of them were a little bit younger than me at the time. By, you know, a couple of years, but um, they welcomed me with open arms and we did ministry together. And that gave me something to take the focus off myself and onto ministry and serving others. But also I was able to um, just be embraced by them. They loved me. They loved my daughter. Um, they just became a new family for me during this season. Because when you go through a divorce, it's it's tricky to keep your your friendships that you had as a couple, because it's just kind of awkward at times, you know, um, I did keep several of those friends, but 
it's hard when you were, uh, you know, a two two sets, you were two pairs of people going out on double dates, and then suddenly now you're the third wheel. And it's hard for the other party because they're not maybe sure what um, sure what happened. They don't want to pick sides. You know, it can just be a little awkward. So even though that's a hard time in your life to naturally want to make new friendships, it really can be such a blessing. Betsy St. Amant Haddocks here on this edition of The Intersection. You can find her online at Betsy St. St. Amant, A-M-A-N-T dot com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, there are comments from David Bonson, founder, managing partner, and chief investment officer of the Bonson Group. He approaches economic matters from a Christian worldview perspective. He has written a book entitled Full-Time Work and the Meaning of Life. From a recent Meeting House conversation, this is David Bonson now. I think that pastors very often preach about work in the context of a caution, a warning. Make sure you're not working too much. Make sure you're not ignoring your families for the sake of your jobs. And I am vehemently against ignoring one's family. And I'm vehemently against idolizing work. But the problem with that message in the contemporary culture is it just simply is not what the people in the pews are struggling with. The congregants, by and large, as we see throughout the culture, if there is a message about work that I think needs to be emphasized, it is the one that is constantly emphasized in the Bible. There isn't a single passage in the Bible, not one, that is warning us against working too hard. There are hundreds of passages warning us against not working enough, hundreds of passages reiterating that work is the mechanism by which we worship and serve God. And we have a culture that is playing hundreds of millions of hours of Fortnite video game per year. (laughs) We have 30-year-olds living at home, sleeping in a mom's couch, and I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about it. I think that what is largely being preached is a much more convenient and easy to deliver message about being careful of not working too much when my thesis in the book, I admit it's a little controversial and punchy, but I I did so as winsomely and charitably as I could, Bob, but I think pastors need to start telling their congregations to go be more career-minded, to go be more ambitious, and to understand that the purpose of that is fulfilling the very thing God created them for, to build his kingdom with our work and labor activities. If someone has the attitude that work is just kind of a necessary evil or something you do to, you know, and, and it's important to provide for your family and, and things of that sort, some of the benefits of work, but you have people that are miserable in their work. And how can one really find his or her place as you see it so that they can really be used of God in the way that he would intend? You're so right that there are people who are are miserable in their jobs. And all at once, there are two different angles I want to consider. The most important is the macro at a high level, the sort of universal principles, things I could say systemically, because I want to be able to talk to Bob and Jenny and Billy and, and, you know, individual people, the micro. But but at a macro level, we have to understand that the greatest way to facilitate people having options in their work 
to be able to have flexibility that they may get to leave one job they don't like for another job they do is that we must celebrate a market economy, free enterprise. The more freedom we have in the economy, the more options people have. We went hundreds, thousands of years where people didn't have optionality. They worked for the family farm. It was a feudal system. You know, They may have gone and had to work in the local factory. They couldn't go spread their wings. They couldn't marry their passions to their skills. What has changed and provided a division of labor, a specialization in the economy, is a market economy, the beauty of a more free enterprise system. That is the solution in the macro. We want more labor dynamism, more mobility. Sometimes people are going to have to move. Sometimes they're going to have to get retraining. There's different things that are going to come up in the complexities of life. But the advantages we have in a free society is that there are opportunities. Now, that is not helpful to every Billy, Bob, Jenny, Tom listening right now. Individual real-life people with their feet on the grass, as we say, they have particular circumstances. And there, there isn't one-size-fits-all. Maybe one person needs to quit their job and start looking for something different. Someone else maybe needs to change their attitude towards their current job. Someone might need to read my book and understand why, in fact, their work is uh, made by God to be a blessing. And, you know, others, maybe their uncle has a business uh, out of state that they he offered for them to come work at, and they want to look at that other opportunity. You see my point? There's all kinds of individual circumstances that could change, but what doesn't have to stay is an attitude that our work is awful and I hate it forever. God loves our work. God loves us, the worker, and God loves the person we work for. David Bonson here on The Intersection. You can find him online at fulltimebook.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or the programming menu at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House program. There are links to the podcast through the homepage, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. Plus, there's a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel through which you can watch video of Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on X or Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can reach it through the programming menu at faithradio.org. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.